0: I am Ohiro Oni Isele. Ruminations is the podcast where I discuss matters of life. My first ever published work was titled, South Africa's Bondage Ties Us All. Written and published in a local newspaper in 1989, I argued in that short article that none of us was truly free for as long as South African blacks remained subject to the bondage of appetite. When I wrote that article, South Africa was paramount in my mind. I had been aware of the plight of South African blacks for some time, and indeed, I went to school with some of them. I had become increasingly bothered by the fact that leaders of several powerful countries were paying lip service to the concept of freedom. They promoted that idea around the world, but for some reason, did not seem to feel that the black people of South Africa deserved to enjoy the benefits that they spoke so glowingly about the countries that we are under communist and all uh, other autocratic rule. So, they pricked the ideals of freedom to those countries while actively helping the South African government to sustain its oppressive apartheid rule, should be told. I was also angered by the fact that some white preachers of my faith were boldly preaching on Christian television that South Africa's apartheid regime was God's will and that black South Africans were the cause of their own oppression. Really? None of that made any sense to me either in the tenets of my religion or in the context of my humanity. In retrospect, I feel that in my disappointment and intense desire for change in South Africa I did not look beyond the plight of black people in South Africa to consider the potential that so many in our world will still be subjected to so many forms of social injustice long after South African blacks became free. While that is true, however, I recall that I looked sufficiently far back in history and knew enough about oppressed groups Mm. to be able to say in that article that it would only be a question of time before the black people of South Africa became free, because oppression in that or any form was hardly sustainable in an increasingly interconnected world. Well, South African blacks did become free, but injustice continues to survive in increasingly diverse forms around the world. Also, its varied complexion and multiplicity of forms now make it more difficult to hope for a world devoid of injustice. That will be a world in which we all recognize that we are naturally free when some of our brothers and sisters are in chains. It will be a world in which some among us do not have to prove themselves to be accepted just because of their pigmentation. A world in which people who possess the same credentials and perform comparable tasks are remunerated equally despite their gender. A socially just world, of course, will be a world in which people are not judged and condemned because of who they love. A world in which people's freedom of movement is not curtailed just because of what they look like. A world in which people are not profiled for punishment or killed just because they do not come from the dominant socioeconomic class or culture. A world in which we accept our responsibility to care for the sick among us, rather than subject that responsibility to heartless political debates. A socially just world will be one in which all are truly equal in the application of law, just as we all are in the eyes of God. Simply put, that is the world that we need. But it is not the world that we have, and the chances that we will ever have such a world are increasingly diminishing by the day. We shall never claim to live in a just society or a just world if any among us remains a victim of social injustice. This world is in trouble. There is no way to sugarcoat or overstate the reality. Put otherwise, it will be a lie, and we are taught that it is immoral to lie. But pick any continent and a careful look at one of one or two countries in that continent provides an open window into the state of that continent and by extension the state of our world. Starting with North America, the United States of America has as precedent a petulant being in the physical body of an adult male. How did that happen? Well, the whole world has been wondering the same question. Since the United States transitioned from a very brilliant, classy, and honest president who sometimes annoyed his supporters by always being graceful even to those who hated him and maintaining calm even in the face of fire, to an ignorant and arrogant racist who is full of hate, promotes injustice, and lacks the ability to tell the truth even on the most mundane matters, be they of personal, national, or international significance. In Europe, the United Kingdom is popular, since since the country has been exposed as a pretentious, ideas-deprived, hypocritical, and xenophobic nation. That exposure came as a surprise to most when Brexit happened, largely because the country's leaders, like too many of those that they lead, seems to have been too self-absorbed to know that not only is the world now interconnected, but that the arrogant claim that his son could never set on the British Empire is now quaint and no longer holds sway. But the United Kingdom is only one of numerous self-injured countries in Europe that are struggling to stay afloat in an increasingly crazy world. What about Africa? Except for a very tiny few, all African countries are in tatters, riddled by a long record of leaders who have consistently looted the treasuries of their countries while keeping the poor and middle class oppressed and hungry. This is the story of Nigeria, and the story of South Africa is currently being written by South Africa in the same fashion. In fact, this is the dominant story of Africa's socio-political and economic history. In Australia, the aborigines who were dispossessed of their land are treated as inferior humans in their own homeland by the same people who stole their country from them. The same people who now perceive of undocumented immigrants as worthless criminals deserving of inhuman treatment. South America is replete with banana republics thanks to decades of irresponsible leadership. A country as rich in oil and other natural resources as Venezuela has been brought to its knees by decades of terrible leadership coated in dangerous rhetoric and a political ideology that was never a fit for that country. In Asia, North Korea is led by a man-boy who seems to perceive of the world as the playground for whatever evil machinations can take residence in his mind. Seriously, our world is in trouble. To the extent that a protagonist is the central figure in a factual story, a national political leader is a protagonist in the writing and telling of the story of the country and people that he or she is in office to represent. To the extent that a protagonist is also supposed to be the champion of a cause, political leaders are supposed to champion the cause of progress for their countries and fellow citizens. Unfortunately, the world is currently chock-full of leaders whose abilities are limited only to writing and telling stories that debase humanity. Equally bad is the fact. most of the world leaders are champions only of themselves, their families, and a few psychophants that could not survive otherwise. The fact that our world has been shattered by an incredible amount of selfish and irresponsible political leaders is not in doubt. But society's complicity in this crime should also not be in doubt. In every situation where national leaders have failed and are failing their countries, there have also been too many people helping to prop them up. How oppressed citizens, foreign institutions, the wealthy, and religious leaders wittingly and unwittingly connive to maintain destructive protagonists in position is a reality that defies reasonable explanation. Yet, that is now the mix that provides cover for failed protagonists. As a consequence, Political leaders can do anything they please, however immoral, and they get away with it because the people who defend them will always do so, even at the expense of their own integrity. For as long as that cover remains to excuse political leaders from the consequences of their actions, for so long will our world remain in trouble. If you ask me, the clouds are only thickening. Yet, Sometimes I'm inclined to believe that our world will get better because I think that more and more of us will embrace and work for social justice. At the same time, even if I had a crystal ball, I will still consider it foolhardy to make such a pronouncement. Perhaps I just did. But here is what I can say for sure, that the track towards social justice is long, it is arduous, difficult, and sometimes a hopeless journey, but there is no guarantee that a destination can ever be reached. I believe, however, that we can make this a more just world if each of us plays his or her part. It will require that we join our hearts and hands, raise our voices on behalf of the voiceless, march against injustice, on behalf of ourselves and those who cannot march on their own behalf, and lift those in our midst who need a helping hand. If we give hope to the hopeless, help to the helpless, water to the thirsting, food to the hungry, empower the powerless, and not only talk but live the gospel of social justice, I believe then that we make it possible for ourselves and those who come after us The hope for a world in which we can convincingly say and believe, as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. did, that, quote, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice.